So Nick. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Are you dressing up this year? Uh, I'm not. Are you? Okay. I, I have no idea. I have no plans as of now, <laughs> but who knows what the future may hold. Right. Right. You've dressed up before, I assume. I have. What have been some of your favorite Halloween costumes? I mean, I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. Uh-huh. And I've been Indiana Jones, but probably my favorite was my wife and I, when our daughter was a few years old, mm-hmm. she was Alice and my wife and I were Tweedledee and Tweedledum and we did the Mickey's Halloween party at Disneyland. Okay. So I can think of a couple. I think I, I kind of nailed it. Yeah. Um, there was one year where I also did kind of a coordinated costume with my niece so she was probably, I can't even, I don't even know how old, maybe she was like 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. I went as Ash and we dressed up my niece as uh, Pikachu. There you go. So it was perfect. And it was mm-hmm. adorable. <laughs> um, the other one, which I, it was at BYU. Uh-huh. I dressed up as Lupin from Harry Potter. Like my hair was a little bit on the long side. Like I was like pushing uh-huh. You know, the, the honor code, the honor code, <laughs> you know, grooming standards there. I had a fake mustache uh-huh. and I had a little sweater vest and I, I got like a briefcase and a tie and, and like people around campus, I, I, I dressed up mm-hmm. on Halloween on campus and like people on campus recognized me. Yeah. That's and funny. in fact, this is kind of how nerdy I am. I was a TA uh-huh. for a class and I was scheduled to teach a little breakout session of about 20 students. And I went and I taught in character. I taught as Lupin <laughs> with an accent, which it, it was a lot harder than I, than I thought it would be. Yeah. Well, that's it why they, it's so hard to fill that job. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, welcome to the episode. Today, we're talking about 10 Cloverfield Lane. As early as possible, we should throw out a, a warning. Right. Um, I think this movie, if you haven't seen it, obviously, spoiler warning coming up, but this is one of those movies where the less you know about it going in, the better the movie is. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen this movie, I would strongly recommend not listening to this episode until you've seen it. That's how much we care about you, our listeners, is that we're telling you not to listen to our podcast. I know. We care about the viewing experience so much. Right, right. Uh, So this is a great place to pause. Go watch it if you haven't. And leading up to this movie, Nick, I don't don't think there was a lot of um, like advertising for it. Yeah, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere because I remember when it was released Mm -hmm. and I didn't remember hearing a lot about it going in, but I heard like, the J.J. Abrams name associated with it. And I'm like, right. I kind of like him. I like his stuff. I need to go see that. So now this is loosely connected. Like Cloverfield is sort of their like branding for these sort of like very small contained drama with like a sci-fi horror sort of twist. Mm-hmm. They made a few. I think they've done like four. I'm only aware of three, I think. So there was yeah. Cloverfield. So Cloverfield was the first one. And that was, was sort of a found footage one. Was that J.J. Abrams? 
So it was Bad Robot, okay, which, which is, is his production company. Yeah, Cloverfield was directed by uh, Matt Reeves, who's done like the couple of the new Planet of the Apes movies. He's doing the new Batman movie next year, mm-hmm. and they were friends, I think, from growing up, and both went into film. And then, yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane was the second one, and then I think they did. They did one that was for Netflix. That it was. Yeah. It's called the was, Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah. And it I was have, not great, but yeah, okay. I, I haven't seen that one, <laughs> but that one was a surprise too. Cause mm-hmm. there was no like buildup or hype for it. Right. Until it actually released on Netflix. And I think that there was a, a Super Bowl spot or promo uh-huh. for it saying like, this is available now. Yeah. Um, Which is fun. This is, I mean, and that's sort of the fun of these movies is that, there is very little sort of marketing and just sort of gets pushed and, and they hope word of mouth is enough to sort of yeah. drive the interest. Yeah. And there was a fourth one. I can't remember what it's called. It was set in world war two and it was sort of like loosely. Connected. Well, and that's the thing, all of these movies, they're not really directly related to each other, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think JJ Abrams himself, I heard it like an interview or something. He described them as like spiritual successors or like, or right. like, like a tonal so or a kind spiritual of an anthology sequel. film yeah. series where it's like sort of stories that all could go together, but don't have anything to do with each other. Right. I think it was called overlord. Okay. And I think it was originally supposed to be like more tied into Cloverfield. And then they sort of backed off because it ended up being kind of different and too different. From what I heard too, with Cloverfield paradox, I heard that that one was actually a whole separate movie. Mm-hmm. that they were like in production for. And then somebody's like, Hey, let's turn this into a, a Cloverfield thing. Right. And so then like halfway through, they, they decided to adopt it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've, and I've yeah. only seen those, those first two. And, and I think those are definitely the best yeah. out of what they've done so far, but I hope they keep making more because I think this sort of thing's really fun to just have like a really sort of contained character driven sci-fi movie that yeah i think it's smart to have sort of the branding and sort of the push of like jj abrams behind it but not need to be like an adaptation or tied to anything mm-hmm. like a, a book or a tv series that they're remaking or whatever yeah as, as much as i love um you know star wars and marvel and everything it's kind of nice to have i, I love it when you find a really good film that's just like a really good standalone and it doesn't have to tie into yeah, Anything definitely. Else. And this movie is really small. Like it's only got basically three cast members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and then oh, I'm blanking on his name, John Gallagher Jr. Like I've seen him in things it, like he's not an unrecognizable person to me. Like I see him and know he's been in stuff, but definitely John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are driving the, yeah. the cast here. And boy, do they do a great job. <laughs> My wife and I went and saw this kind of spontaneously. We were out doing something and we had like, like a free afternoon and, yeah. and we were passing a the movie theater and it's like, oh, oh, hey, look, <laughs> that movie that I wanted to see is playing. And Kim didn't know anything about it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Kim, let's go see it. And I convinced her and we did. And it was, it was great. It was yeah. amazing. I really like how intimate it is. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, a very small cast. We've got a very small set mm-hmm. as well. And I love how little by little, you know, room by room, we explore this bunker yeah. that we're in. And, and I just love the pacing that they set with that and how you gradually start 
piecing together these little clues. Right. Yeah. It's a very clever use of space. You know, we figure out the geography of this bunker, but then we keep sort of peeling back the layers, like you're saying, of like mm-hmm. we revisit places and suddenly there's a more sinister sort of feeling to them or we mm-hmm. just discover more and yeah. yeah, good, good use of space. And, you know, Cloverfield Lane probably made back its budget multiple times over mm-hmm. off of, but it just didn't, it didn't make billions, you know? Right. But it was, it was pretty low budget to start. Right. With. And it's just crazy to me that like Hollywood doesn't make more movies like this that are like good scripts, small, guaranteed to make money back. Let's just make 50 of those instead of five, you know, $300 million movies. <laughs> that right. Like we'll lose us money. It's right. just a shame. We don't get more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I also really like, I don't know if there's a word for what this is, this film technique, but like the camera will just like zoom in and focus on an object mm-hmm. that like in the future of the story will like become important, you know, like, like the camera will just linger on that bottle of whiskey or yeah. on, you know, just different objects. And I thought that that was like really cool foreshadowing or just made you mm-hmm think about like your surroundings and the objects, which is like very, you know, being in such a contained space, pretty important. Right. For the plot. My favorite thing about this movie is just the level of sort of like the roller coaster ride of this movie that, you know, we begin seeing her in her normal sort of life, mm-hmm. the, the main character. And then she's taken to this bunker and it's just this up and down of like, do we trust John Goodman or do we not trust John Goodman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, his name's Howard, right? Yeah. Like, are we trusting him or not? And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And and it feels like we never really settle ever into like mm-hmm. fully trusting him or not. But it's just like, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that's probably a point that I'll want to talk about a little bit later on. Right. But that that's what I love too, is it's like, you're going through this movie and it's like, is he crazy or not? Right. Cause there, you keep getting like information for both sides. Uh-huh. And, and then and it the, comes down to the end and it's like, he is, he's crazy. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're both true. Yeah. Which is which not something that you were expecting. Yeah. So yeah. Lots of fun twists. I mean, John Goodman is just so good in this movie, just mm-hmm. the way that he plays sort of like someone who's probably like on some sort of autistic spectrum. I don't know if that's the correct way to maybe say that, but he seems like right. he's, you know, like his his social skills aren't the best. Right. And it's in, at times it's like endearing because it's kind of innocent and naive, like the, the problems that he has sort mm-hmm. of connecting to them. Also sort of this thing that just like makes his character a little off. And so it makes us, that trust thing is just hard to navigate because it's like, well, is he just, because he's a little different or is it because like he's there's something else going on like actually a sociopath (laughs) yeah whereas if they made him like more like normal and like charismatic and sort of like social the tension would have been i feel like we would have we would know that like okay there's another shoe dropping this guy's like too good to be true but yeah or if he was just like crazy bad the whole time right yeah which is a certain time kind of tension but like it's this just plays with all the second guessing and sort of like, you know, we're right there with her as we're trying to navigate, like, is he good or bad or something in between and, and what's really going on here? 
Right. What did you think about the ending, Nick, once she gets out of the bunker? Because I know I mean, that I, there, are, there are lots of mixed views about that. Yeah, definitely. The ending is that she gets out of the bunker and then realizes that there actually was some sort of like alien attack. For her character arc, I think you have to have the ending because her character arc at the beginning is that like, we don't really get a ton of details. We just know that like she was engaged or maybe married and is running away from it, then ends up getting in this car accident, either on accident or he purposely sort of targeted her Mm -hmm. and ends up in this bunker and can't run away. And then finally escapes to freedom. And it's all about like, like this whole sort of like her confronting Howard and then escaping is sort of like, she's, I think anyone would have gone through like what ended up happening with Howard in the bunker. Like anyone would have tried to escape and fight back because it's survival at that point. Right. And then, you know, we sort of like have it again with the alien thing, but it leads to the bigger question of like, when she's at the crossroads at the very end of the movie, like, right. Is she going to, is she going to run away or is she going to like turn and fight? And, and that like, she's now fundamentally changed as a person, Mm -hmm. like she's going to go and fight now. And so I think that you need the like world to have changed to like make that character arc complete. Yeah. Otherwise she fights her way out of the bunker and the world is still normal and she calls 911 and cops come and she gets, you know, like she gets helped. She doesn't do anything for herself right. after the bunker in, right. in, in another ending. You know, throughout the movie too, it's hinted at that. Like that's, that's one of her common issues in the past is she, she runs away from right. her problems instead of confronting and standing up to him. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. I, I, I like the ending too. Um, I like the fact that, you know, Howard was both crazy and right about there being <laughs> right. aliens. Um, you know, the aliens kind of tie it into a little bit the the monster aspect of the first Cloverfield movie. Yeah. And and I just love how it's completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like almost a shift in tone of like what genre of movie we're in, which I, I think is kind of cool. Well, and we definitely, you know, like when the the lady outside the bunker is uh-huh. trying, is like banging on the door trying to get in, like we know something has happened but right. it's like so sort of bizarre and out of place and then and we just don't know what it is you know like mm-hmm. and he's you know howard is saying all sorts of crazy stuff about what he thinks happened mm-hmm. but all we've seen is this one lady and a couple and, of dead pigs right you know we don't really know what what's it what's going on and mm-hmm. so to have had the, keep the movie exactly the same and have her get out of the bunker and there is nothing wrong I feel like would not be delivering on the promise of like what's going on with this lady. And then I think it is just fun to have that twist of like, Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I just escaped. And then her means of escape is what alerts the the alien that like she's there and to come over. And so I think it's all just fun, sort of, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire drama at the end and, Mm -hmm. and a nice release of just like we've had so much sort of tension through and the, like most of this movie yeah. just to have straight sort of like action to end and to be like out fun. of that bunker like mm-hmm. i i think the audience was just as glad as she was to be out of that bunker <laughs> <laughs> right um any of the times that they're sitting all together talking there's the scene where they're at the dinner table uh-huh and then the scene where they're playing the game like sort of on the couches and there's nothing fancy about those scenes it's three people talking 
But and they kind of come to like an easy so piece. They kind mm-hmm. of come to like an understanding for like a little while where things are somewhat no, quote unquote normal. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of fun. I, yeah. Quote unquote fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's fun to watch. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, as she starts to piece together that like there was this other girl before her and that like mm-hmm. she's, you know, sort of what that whole story is that he he's not telling the whole truth about the the switch flips <laughs> so fast yeah. of like him being like oh all this stuff that happened before like now has this creepy feel to it and like mm-hmm. and i mean in the theater i remember the scene where like they confront him and he kills the, the other guy in the bunker yeah. that like how fast that happened just like was just like so shocking yeah to everyone in the holy cow (laughs) and then and then he immediately changes like he Mm -hmm. changes how he looks and how he's groomed you know shaves right right i know it's just this like that's where it's like now all the cards are out on the table and like it's and there's there's nothing wasted like no detail or no line of script that Mm -hmm. like doesn't build like like there's clues everywhere right yeah, and, it, and it's all building. And so just a really tight script that I think adds to all of that. Suspense. Yeah, one of those scenes like that is when they're playing that game where it's, you know, like uh, 20 questions or whatever, you know, they're mm-hmm. trying to guess who he is. And Howard's like, I'm always watching. And like, and, <laughs> and it's just that, like, is he playing the game or is he not playing the game? Right. And like, you know, I know what you're doing at that point. Yeah, they are like hatching a plan. Uh-huh. And it's just, yeah, very clever, like a way to use like make everything have more than one purpose in the script mm-hmm. and everything's pulling double duty or triple duty um, right. you know just a very smart script well what are some of the connections to uh like a believing member of the church what are they watching this movie and relating to i'm gonna have to say food storage man <laughs> You know, this is you know? like, you know, this is a yeah, food storage dream right here. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I guess like back in the day, there were, I don't know if it's still going on, but the whole prepper movement, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole, the end times are nigh and let's, yeah. uh, let's get ready for the end of the world. Yeah. Howard is someone that I would not be surprised to find out was mormon at some point <laughs> in his life <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. not the most active like engaged sort of mormon now but right right like it could have i could easily have seen him being comfortable in a pew somewhere mm-hmm. right you know like we talked about the theme of the main character and just her like you know learning and growing and overcoming and mm-hmm. sticking with it i think those are all uh principles and values that are you know appreciated Right. Among Mormons, but like just humanity in general, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. going back to the ending of this movie, Howard being right all along and that like she gets out of the bunker and like all his crazy conspiracy theories were actually true is the sort of thing that like would appeal (laughs) maybe very loosely to someone to a, a certain type of Mormon, maybe who's like sees that sort of like validation of like, yeah, see all these crazy things like it could happen. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's maybe the most ringing endorsement for a certain, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, there's definitely like conspiracy theories are on the rise these days. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like obviously information and sort of what's, what's true or not true and sort of like mm-hmm. 
you know, all these crazy conspiracy sort of things in the last couple of years of COVID have just been, I think now this sort of character just resonates with everyone, I think. Yeah, like every, think, everybody knows a Howard, maybe. Right, you know, we're re- I think so. And we're recording this, you know, sort in, you know, fall of 2021. And I feel like mm-hmm. we've seen in just the last couple months sort of like, that struggle within the, the church itself, as far as like, who are we going to believe? And, and like a lot of people falling to conspiracy theories, hoping that like, I'm sure they'll be proven right. You know, when they get out yeah. of the bunker. Yeah. And just for context, you know, for our listeners far in the future who, you know, <laughs> our, our podcast is like still this around evergreen like, podcast. Right. Right. Um, but uh, there is like big waves in the Mormon verse when, you know, the, the church finally came out and officially like encouraged people to get the vaccine. Right. It's hard to like explain to, to people who aren't <laughs> like in the moment, in the Mormon moment right now, like, like, right. like kind of wild, just mm-hmm. like the amount of pushback and. And, you know, a lot of people might not even in the Mormon world might not be aware of this unless they're, you know, online, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But like lots of people that are like, you know, I got personal revelation that I didn't have to get the vaccine, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm not going to listen to the leadership of the church. And I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know it's just, and, and I think to preface this, I'm 100% pro vaccine. So I was vaccinated, yeah. Dan, you were too. My wife's a nurse, like we're very, you know, when it, and you're an eye doctor, which mm-hmm. so like science I think, runs through both of our, you know, families, our lives and, yeah, and our, you know, healthcare is important. And so just want to make sure that that's out there. But <laughs> I think that, yeah, it's just sort of this, we just lost, you know, a bunch of viewers <laughs> or listeners. I know. Sorry. I, when this is a hill I'll die on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been crazy sort of like that. And I think that this movie plays with that sort of like truth and not true. What's, what's reality. What's, what's not reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that roller coaster I was talking about, which I think we've seen over the last year and a half as like, you know, a pandemic started and, and lots of family and friends were so excited that the prophet of the Mormon church at the time, at that time was a doctor Mm-hmm. And, and then fasted and prayed for help and relief, quick recovery from COVID vaccine was developed at record speed. Yeah. And then the, like all the conspiracy stuff sort of took hold in some people and, and all those things went out the window from the year before. And now it's, you know, a struggle when, when they have to reiterate, like you should be wearing masks and we strongly urge you to get vaccinated that like, I'm the one, the ex Mormon, <laughs> Uh on social media on like facebook saying like uh hey i don't believe he's a prophet but like this is all really good what is up with you guys and how the turntables look how the (laughs) turntables yeah yeah you know because there was like a while back you saw um russell nelson you know there's a picture of him posted on social media of him actually getting the vaccine which is like a while back Uh and that and that you know stirred the pot a little bit yeah but then it, it got really stirred when they came out with like the thing telling people you know oh you should go do this like we recommend this yeah and then you know apparently you know people that need the vaccine for jobs or you know travel whatever it is 
um, you know, I guess there are some people that are looking for religious exemptions, like, right. And, and then the church came out and said, like, you know, straight out, we're, we're not going to be providing any, uh, religious exemptions at all. And then, uh-huh. you know, even more people <laughs> lost yeah. their cool over that. I I've heard of people that have like become inactive or stopped attending church because of <laughs> the, the vaccine thing right. going Which on. Which is crazy to me. Yeah. I suppose the opposite, you know, I feel like there's a certain sort of like, it's in the DNA of Mormonism, this like prepper sort of like Mm-hmm. preparing for the second coming. And I think the the faith promoting sort of like best version of that is like, we need to be prepared for emergencies and it may not be the end of the world. It may be you lose right. your job. It may be a hurricane. But we need comes. to be like, you know, financially sound. And, right. And I you think know, that make that's sure your all, house is in order. All smart Yeah, um, to have preparation for emergencies, you know, and, and I think that, um, and, and maybe, the religious aspect of that is that like, Hey, we do believe the second coming is going to happen. And, but like, that shouldn't be something to be afraid of mm-hmm. is sort of like, that's like the best version of anything I was taught mm-hmm. about sort of like preparation and emergency preparedness. But I think that there is a tendency to sort of like then root for bad things to happen. Like, cause then it justifies like, you and yeah, because then it justified, like I'm being all prepared and, and have, I'm preparing my bunker metaphorically or physically and yeah. sort of like really getting into this. And so then it's like, you need it to happen. And so you look for things to like make it sort of worse and, and are a little gleeful and like, and so I think that like the, the very worst side of this is that like stop participating in society and contributing to society and trying to make the world uh-huh. better because like, I want the second coming to come destroy everything, you know? Right. right. Which is, I think, I mean, I'm laughing, but I think it's reality for some people. And, and so I think, you know, anyone in the church who might look like Howard, it's like, I just, just feel sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like like Howard spent his whole, like a big chunk of his life and money and resources building this bunker to hide during whatever emergency he thought might come and ended up dying there because like, he couldn't just have a like social life, get along with people like, you know. And this is speaking to the very, very small fraction of anyone who maybe might be listening. Preparedness can only help you so much Yeah, that I feel like sometimes I feel like a lot of Mormons go overboard and no one's going to eat that wheat in a can. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather, I'd rather die. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, who was it? I was listening to a thing the other day. Um, and I, Chris, I was, is like Christopher Hitchens, uh-huh. who's like a well-known, um, like journalist and speaker, mm-hmm. but he's also like a, a prominent atheist and kind of talks about religion and kind of a controversial character, mm-hmm. um, out there. But he was saying that along those lines, like, there are a lot of religions and a lot of religious people out there who just can't wait for the end of the world. Right. Like, like the world is, is messy. It's bad. It's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket and we need, Mm -hmm. we need the end times to come so that we can clean this mess up, which, you know, on the one hand, like having been very religious, like I, I can see that. But on the other hand, it's like, 
kind of scary to have that mentality in a bunch of people that are right, you know, wanting to accelerate the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Which I think um, wouldn't be like, you know, the leadership in, in the church, like the Quorum of the Twelve and First Presidency and like, I don't think they would subscribe to that mentality. Right, right. And right. I don't think they would appreciate it being taught. Yeah. But I feel like it can filter down through other ways. Yeah. And sort of like, I mean, that's and, just my impression. And the example that Christopher Hitchens used were, were um, jihad and like Islamic right. extremists and things like that. So, um, but I mean, you, you still find some of those attitudes in, in very fundamentalist Christian groups mm-hmm. too. So. And, and I think you get a sense of that, like Howard in this movie is definitely like proud that like he was smart and he was mm-hmm. ready and he was prepared and, and it's like, yeah, but you know, who, who did you become? Yeah. <laughs> at what cost? At what cost? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and I think, you know, like that wasn't the only reason that made him the way he was. Right. Um, you know, obviously he had abducted that other girl mm-hmm. and like had daughter issues and. Right. Um, so there's a lot of other things going on there. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Very complicated, interesting character though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's in this movie for an ex-Mormon? I feel like this is, we've talked before about the term gaslighting. Oh yeah. In, in our sort of first season of episodes. And I feel like the really basic definition of that is that like gaslighting is when someone is trying to make you question your reality Mm -hmm. um, and sort of what you experienced and the validity of it. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of that going on. And and, I mean, which is interesting because like I was saying before, like it turns out that like he was right, but like his way of going about it is all wrong. Mm -hmm. And then some... (laughs) (laughs) yeah and but like there's just sort of that feeling that sort of all through the first half of this movie especially of do i trust what i know like what i've experienced Mm -hmm. and like does this compute with what may be happening right now Mm -hmm. and and so we for the first half is sort of like on a bigger level of the world like what's going on outside this bunker yeah but then the second half of the movie becomes about like who he is what's going on inside this bunker and what's going on inside the bunker right and so I think it's fun that we twist that. The tension changes while still being thematically the same of like mm-hmm. what's what's reality, what's truth. And and I think this movie plays. Oh, say like what that. is truth. Yeah, exactly. That's a hymn. <laughs> yeah. No, but like going along those lines, that's what I had, you know, alluded to earlier in the episode. It's just as I was uh, you know, in my quote unquote faith journey. Mm-hmm. Um about like, you know, on the edge of, do I, do I stay in the church? Do I not? I, I felt like, I felt like Michelle, cause it's like, you know, I'm finding some like clues and evidence that, oh, you know, this is what it is. And, and yeah. it's, you know, the church and what, it, what I've loved and lived my whole life. And then I find some clues and it's like, oh, wait, there's this other stuff that makes me believe that maybe this isn't what I was led to believe it is. And then, mm-hmm. you know, keep going back and forth for a while finding evidence on both sides and and eventually you got to make a decision you know right and i think that you know there's a lot of fear tactics whether justified or not Mm -hmm. like that are like not treating her like an equal 
where mm-hmm. he's trying to keep her there. And, and eventually, you know, we find out that he wants a replacement for his daughter, basically. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but that, you know, a lot of fear to sort of keep her from leaving the bunker. And, and we've talked before about sort of like movies that have done that same sort of thing, like our last Halloween episode talking about oh, yeah. the village and mm-hmm. sort of that idea of like Plato's cave and the Truman show and sort of like, you know, when your reality becomes just this bunker, like there's always that question of, you know, what else is out there. And yeah. And there's just a lot of fear keeping her inside that bunker. And it turns out that, you know, there's some justification maybe for being afraid of going outside that bunker. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that by the end, like she's decided, I don't care. And like, I'll, I'll take what comes and I feel like that's a very common sort of like leaving the church phase of like that. I'm going to stay like, is there, I'm going to stay in the bunker because I'm afraid of what might be outside the bunker, even though I'm not totally liking what's totally in the bunker. Totally sure that it's, yeah, a great you know, place and, to be. But then I think a lot of people end up getting to that place where it's like, I'd rather drive into the danger outside the bunker because now I at least know everything that's going on. Yeah. And I can decide for myself. Absolutely. Danger maybe being used, you know, with like air quotes there. Of like, right. I think we're using a lot of air quotes, not... you know, quote unquote, <laughs> this episode, I feel. Right, right. It's not actual aliens. It's just metaphorical yeah. aliens. Yeah. Makes me yeah. think of Three Amigos at the end when <laughs> Steve Martin's like, everyone has an El Guapo in their life. But right. <laughs> ours is the actual El Guapo. Ours is the actual. Oh, that's a good movie. Maybe we should do that later on. We'll add it to the list. We have a long list. <laughs> So I think that like, you know, I come out of this movie thinking about like, what would I do in that situation? And mm-hmm. am I in, is there anything in my life like that situation? Yeah. <laughs> you know, do I have any metaphorical bunkers that I need right. to get out of? So who are the metaphorical Howards in my life? <laughs> you know, maybe it's me. Maybe it's, you know, <laughs> maybe I am the, the alien. Little voice inside my head. Yeah. I think to talk much more would be to stretch the metaphor too much. Right, right. And nobody likes a stretchy metaphor. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And why are you still listening? Like <laughs> we told you to go watch it already. Yeah. But if you have seen it, go watch it again. Cause it's really good. And it's a great Halloween movie, but thanks for joining us. Yeah. Good discussion, Nick. Good movie. Tis the season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, happy Halloween, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. We'll catch you next time. See you later. Postmormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time. <laughs>